Chapter Twenty Three of Three People by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three Judgments. Only a few of the clerks had assembled as yet at the great store. It was still early morning, and the business of the day had not commenced when young MacPherson rushed in breathless and in his haste nearly overturned a clerk near the door. Then he stopped, panting as he questioned. "'Is Mr. Mallory in?' "'Yes, sir, he's always in. "'It's my opinion he sleeps in the safe,' added his informant in discontented undertone. Theodore's promptness was sometimes a great inconvenience to the sleepy clerks. "'I want him immediately. Where is he?' "'In the private office, sir. We have sent for him.' said tommy coming forward with the air of one who was at least a partner two minutes more and theodore was beside him there's been an accident explained jim rapidly and you are very much needed where and for what at the euclid house pliny hastings and ben phillips they were thrown from their carriage hastings asked for you at once theodore glanced behind him and issued a few brief directions tommy bring my hat edwards keep these keys in your safe until mr stevens comes holden tell mr jennings when he calls that the bill of sale is made out and shall be ready for him at noon tommy you may take the letters that are on my desk to the post office now macpherson i am ready give me the particulars is it serious i fear so what few particulars we know is that they tried to drive across the track with the express coming at full speed the horses took fright of course backed into the gully and both gentlemen were thrown some distance why they were not killed or how they escaped being dashed in pieces by the train is a wonderful mystery what insane spirit prompted them to attempt crossing the track at such a time the spirit of rum they were both intoxicated his listener uttered an exclamation fraught with more dismay than he had before expressed, and asked his next question in a low, troubled tone. Where were they going? Going home. They had been out on that south road nine miles from the city to attend a dance, had danced and drank by turns all night, and were dashing home between five and six in the morning. So Harcourt says, and he is good authority, for he was right behind them, returning from the same place, and in not much better condition than they, until the accident sobered him. Poor Theodore! He had had particulars enough. His heart felt like lead. How could he hope, or work, or pray any more? They walked in absolute silence to the corner, signaled a car, and made as rapid progress as possible. Only two questions more did Theodore venture. Did you say Pliny asked for me? Yes, or, no, not exactly asked for you, but kept constantly talking about you in a wild sort of way, referring to some promise or pledge of his own, we judged, for he kept saying, I never deliberately broke my word to him before, and then adding in a pitiful tone, He will have nothing to do with me now, he will never believe me again. I think the doctor fears that his brain is injured. It was some moments before Theodore could trust his voice to speak, and then he said inquiringly, His parents have been apprised of the accident, of course? Why, no, 
answered jim in a startled tone at least i doubt it nobody seemed to think of it the fact is theodore we were all frightened out of our wits and needed your executive ability i had been down at the depot to see if my freight had come and arrived on the scene just after the accident occurred i had just brains enough left to have both gentlemen taken to the hotel and come for you arrived at the euclid house the two young men went up the steps and through the halls so familiar to both of them and sought at once the room where pliny had been placed two physicians were busy about him but they drew back thoughtfully as pliny catching a glimpse of the newcomer uttered an eager exclamation it's no use he said wildly as theodore bent over him no use you see the imps have made up their mind to have me and they'll get me body and soul i'm bound i can't stir i promised you oh yes i can promise i'm good at that they don't mind that at all but when it comes to performing then they chain me that is the way he has raved ever since the accident said the elder physician addressing theodore it is an indication of a disordered brain are you the young man whom he has been calling we were in hopes you could quiet him does the disorder arise from liquor said theodore sadly oh no not at all at least it is not the immediate cause can you control him do you think theodore bent over him he was still repeating wildly they'll get me body and soul when a cool hand was laid on his burning forehead and a quiet firm voice spoke the words pliny they shall not get you do you understand they shall not and at that forlorn and apparently hopeless hour the young man's faith arose some voice from that inner world seemed to reach his ear and repeat his own words with strong meaning no they shall not the physicians who had hoped a great deal from the coming of this young man about whom the thoughts of their patient seemed to centre had not hoped in vain he grew quieter and gradually sank into a sort of stupor which if it were not very encouraging seemed less heart-rending than the wild restlessness of the other state then theodore bethought himself again of the hastings family no they had not been sent for everybody had thought about it but nobody had acted mr roberts was not at home and the two doctors had been busy about more necessary business it must be attended to immediately theodore said which of you gentlemen is mr hastings's family physician neither of us answered the elder gentleman laconically i don't even know who his family physician is dr armitage is added the younger from his position at the foot of the bed and he is out of town that's lucky was the sententious comment of the old doctor why asked theodore fixing earnest searching eyes on his face because dr armitage uses rum 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 everywhere and always and ten drops of it would be a certain death to this young man in his present state as a dose of prussic acid would who is the elder of those two physicians questioned theodore of one of the waiters as they left the room together that's dr arnold just the greatest man in this city folks think 
and the young fellow is dr vincent a student once and now a partner of dr arnold theodore mentally hoped as he recognized the familiar names that dr armitage's absence would be indefinitely prolonged he glanced into the room where ben phillips lay he was insensible and had been from the first two more physicians were in attendance there but seemed to be doing nothing and shook their heads very gravely in answer to theodore's inquiring look mr phillips had been seen downtown near the freight office and thither jim had gone in search of him there seemed to be nothing for theodore but to go to hastings's hall himself he shrank from it very much nothing but messages of evil or scenes of danger seemed to connect him with this house they will learn to look on me as the very impersonation of evil tidings he said nervously as he awaited admittance his peremptory ring was promptly answered by john was mr hastings in no he was not he and mrs hastings had accompanied mrs and miss dewitt to the house of a friend nine miles distant and were to be absent two days in spite of himself theodore felt a sense of relief then tell miss hastings i would like to see her at once was his direction john stared it was very early miss hastings had not yet left her room if mr mallory could theodore interrupted him tell her i must see her at once or as soon as possible and at this opportune moment dora came down the stairs theodore advanced to meet her and feeling almost certain of the character with which he had to deal came to the point at once without hesitation or circumlocution i am not the bearer of good news this morning miss hastings there has been an accident and pliny is injured not seriously we hope he is at the euclid house would you wish to go to him at once dora's face had grown paler but she neither exclaimed nor fainted and answered him promptly and firmly i will go to him at once mr mallory our carriage is away will you signal a car for me i will be ready in five minutes but tell me this much ought i to send for my father and mother i fear you ought said theodore gently she turned at once and issued brief rapid and explicit orders to the waiting john and in less than five minutes they were in the car on the way down theodore gave her what meagre knowledge he possessed concerning the accident withholding the bitter cause of it all which however he saw she too readily guessed as they passed dr armitage's house he said dr armitage is not at home and she answered emphatically i am glad of it then he wondered if she were glad for the same reason he was at noon mr and mrs hastings arrived and before the day was done the other anxious watchers had reason heartily to wish that their coming had been longer delayed evidently dora had not inherited her self-control from her mother or if she had mrs hastings had not a tithe of it remaining and her nervousness added not a little to the wildness of the suffering patient mr hastings on his part seemed anxious and angry both in one he said to dora savagely that he hoped it would teach the reckless fellow a lesson that he would never forget 
and resented with haughty silence dr arnold's sententious reply that it was likely to do just that then he openly and unhesitatingly regretted dr armitage's absence sent twice to his home to learn concerning his whereabouts and was not improved in temper by learning that he was lying ill at buffalo and finally with much hesitancy and visible annoyance that would have provoked to withdrawal a younger and less eminent man committed the case to dr arnold's hands the doctor skilfully evaded the questions that were trembling on mrs hastings's lips and hungering in dora's eyes concerning the nature and extent of pliny's injuries which fact led theodore to be very much alarmed and yet he was totally unprepared for the abrupt answer which he received when he first found a chance to ask the question in private he hasn't a chance in a hundred brain is injured is morally certain to have a course of fever and has burned his system so thoroughly with poison that he has no rallying power it was late in the afternoon before the doctor after issuing very strict and careful orders left his patient for a few hours mr hastings turned at once to theodore and spoke in the haughty half sarcastic tone which he always assumed toward him now young man i don't know how you became mixed up with this sad accident some people have a marvellous faculty for getting mixed up with troubles neither do i know to what extent you have attempted to serve me but if you have put yourself out in any way for me or mine i am duly grateful and stand ready as you very well know to liquidate your claims with a check whenever you are prepared to receive it in justice to mr hastings be it said that he had drank a glass of brandy just before this insulting speech and its fumes were already busy with his brain theodore made no sort of reply his heart was too heavy with a sickening dread of what was to come to be careful about maintaining his own dignity and indeed mr hastings gave him very little time for he immediately added and now as the doctor has ordered absolute quiet it is advisable for all who are not useful to absent themselves from the sick-room therefore it would perhaps be well for you to retire at once theodore bowed gravely and immediately left the room dora immediately followed him her cheeks were glowing and her eyes were unusually bright mr mallory she began speaking in a quick excited tone i beg you will not consider yourself grossly insulted papa does not mean does not know and she stopped in pitiful confusion theodore spoke gently i am not offended miss dora your father is excited and withal does not understand me but do not think that i have deserted pliny or can desert him and we will give ourselves continually to prayer concerning him shall we not the first tears that dora had shed that day rolled down her cheeks but she only answered i thank you very much and vanished deprived thus suddenly of the privilege of doing for and watching over his friend theodore bethought himself of the other sufferer and sought the room where he had been carried he tapped lightly at the door but received no answer and afraid to make further demonstrations lest he might disturb the sick one he turned away 
but a waiter just at that moment flung open the door, and to his amazement Theodore saw that the room was empty. "'Where is Mr. Phillips?' he inquired in surprise. "'They have taken him home, sir. Didn't you know it?' "'No, I did not,' answered Theodore shortly, and turned quickly away. In spite of himself, a bitter feeling of almost rebellion possessed him. "'He is able to be carried home,' he muttered, while his partner in trouble must toss in delirium. "'And he was much the most to blame this time, I have no doubt.' No sooner had these sullen thoughts been uttered than he was startled at them and ashamed of himself. He struggled to regain a right feeling toward the more fortunate man, and punished himself by determining to go at once to Mr. Phillips's residence and inquire in person for his son, instead of returning to the store and sending a message as he had at first intended. A flushed-faced, swollen-eyed servant answered his ring, and to his inquiry as to how Mr. Phillips was, answered, "'Well, sir, he's doing the best he can.' "'Can I see him?' answered Theodore, wondering at the strangeness of the answer. "'I guess so, or I'll see. Come in.' And she flung open the parlour door and left him. In a few minutes the elder Mr. Phillips entered. He recognised Theodore at once, though the two had met but once in their lives. The look of unreconciled pain on his face settled into a sterner form as he encountered Theodore, and he spoke with a marked sternness. "'Young man, were you with my son last night? Are you one of those who helped lead him astray?' "'I thank God I am not,' answered Theodore fervently, yet in a gentle tone." Even though he believed that the young man's father had been one of the most potent influences in the ruin of his son, yet the present was no time to have it appear. I called to see if I could in any way serve you, and to know if I might see your son. Thank you, there is nothing more to do, but you can see him. The voice that uttered those hopeless words was husky with suppressed tears, and yet, as he opened a door at his right, motioned Theodore forward, and abruptly left the room, the sad and solemn truth had not so much as glimmered on the young man's mind. Not until he had fairly entered, and nearly crossed the back parlour, were his feet arrested by the presence of death. Even then he could not believe it possible that God had called for the soul, and it had gone." He stood still and looked on the straight, motionless figure, covered with its drapery of white. He advanced and looked reverently upon the face that only yesterday he had seen bubbling with life and fun. The icy seal was surely there. The features had felt that solemn, mysterious touch, and grown sharper and more clearly defined under it. Nothing in his life had ever come to Theodore with such sudden and fearful surprise. Pliny, then, was the one still hovering this side, and the other gone. What an awful death! Murdered, he said, with set lips and rigid face. Just murdered. That is the proper term. Why could they not be hung like other murderers? Was it because their crime was committed by degrees, instead of at one fatal blow? He could not trust himself to stand looking on that still face and pursue these thoughts further. 
he turned quickly away and mechanically opened the family bible in hope of something to steady his fierce almost frightful thoughts he opened to the family record saw the familiar name benjamin phillips born november seventeenth eighteen blank the date was familiar too the date of his own birthday year month even day how strange the coincidence pliny's birthday too he had long known that now here were the trio three young men launched upon life in the same day of time how very different must have been the circumstances of each he glanced about the pleasant room he could imagine with what lavish love and tender care this young man's early years had been surrounded he knew something of the high hopes which had centred in him he knew all about the elegance and grandeur of pliny's home he had vivid memories of the horrors of his own now here they were pliny struggling wildly with his disordered brain this one where who had made them to differ was this the repeatal of the old old sentence the iniquities of the fathers shall be visited upon the children but then what a father had his been to him and yet how full of signal blessing and wonderful success had his life been then sounding sweetly through his brain came the sentence when my father and my mother forsake me then the lord will take me up had the gracious lord then come to him and thrice filled what a father's place should have been and he was but showing these fathers who had dared to take the responsibility upon themselves and while they fed and petted and loved the poor bodies starved and seared the souls what their love when put in defiance to his could do being utterly deserted of human love had it been better for him than this misguided unsanctified distorted love had been to these two young men ay for they had kept the parents place assumed the responsibilities and yet ignored the most solemn of them all moved by a powerful all-controlling emotion theodore sank on his knees beside the silent form and cried out in an agony of prayer oh my father thou hast taken this soul away beyond the reach of prayer or entreaty bind up the broken hearts that this thy judgment has caused thou doest all things well but oh i pray thee spare that other save his life yet a little give him time oh be thou his father and lead him even as thou hast led me hear this cry i beseech thee for the sake of thy son then he went softly and reverently from the room and the house of mourning there stood two others beside that still head when it was pillowed in the coffin the stricken father and mother they stood and dropped tears of utter agony on the face of their first-born and only son did a vision come to them of the time when they had leaned lovingly over the sleeping baby in the great rocking-chair standing empty there in the corner did they remember how merrily they had laughed as they assured each other that they had no fear of baby ben becoming a drunkard oh if they had feared and prayed lead him not into temptation and made earnest effort to answer their own prayers would the end have been as it was end of chapter twenty three